three-man rush for Chicago. Stafford loads the throws. And yes! Goes, caught! No, oh! he dropped it! Oh, you know! DeAndre Swift dropped it! It was a touchdown in his hands! Once I anticipated run, I shot, I shot my shot. Um, I slid in the DM, basically. Cam's going to run it. Outside to the five. Newton to the pylon. Got Touchdown. it. Down. Patriots. It's a man right there, boy. He's totally freelancing. He's on his own. We have no control over the guy. But looking up and seeing, you know, the Superdome, the Superdome just sort of felt like we were at a Tampa Bay game. I've lost plenty of games in my career, so I know I don't like it, um, but it happens. So we got to just do a better job. And with that, I welcome you in, ladies and gentlemen, all you sports fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody, and it is Friday, September 18th, 2020. Thank you all for listening in on this fine, fine Friday evening. This week dragged along. We had the Labor Day shortened uh, work week last week. So um, yeah, getting back into things on Monday, never fun, especially with it being the first weekend of the football season. You're staying up late watching Sunday night football, trying to win your fantasy matchup, especially on Monday, which God, am I glad that I got that W, that comeback W on Monday. More on that, uh, those two games, because there were two games on Monday night, but more on that a little bit later. But first, let's dive right in, because this is going to probably be one of the longer shows in recent weeks, and I kind of want to speed along, speed through things, um, and just hit on the hot-button topics that was the NFL to start off week one because that's all everybody cares about right now. Um, I talked to some of my friends. They didn't even really know that the Nuggets and the Clippers uh, game, what was it, game six, was even on Sunday afternoon during uh, week one of the football season. So there was some scheduling stuff that that, that kind of was bad on the NBA's part. But uh, really nothing you can do about it in COVID world. That's why the NBA playoffs are going on right now, as well as, you know, every other major sport uh, as well. But back to uh, the NFL and the game we're going to start off with is Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. I think I saw somewhere that this game uh, garnered, uh, it was like the most watched game in Fox uh, in the last bunch of years. Okay, and uh, no surprise, you've got Brady, you've got Breeze, two quarterbacks over the age of 40 going at it. Still, you could still argue both in their prime. And boy, let me tell you, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay or or, or Tampa Tom or whatever you want to call him. Right. Um, Tampa Brady, all the all the new nicknames for for TB12. Right. He got the ball first and he stormed right down the field and he excited was an understatement quarterback sneak by tom brady to the 43 year old score he did touchdown tampa bay spike that ball tom brady who says i'm 43 one of the best 
quarterback sneakers of all time. It always gets in and always gets that first down. And he does. He gets the score and he spiked that ball with some volition. I was afraid for Tom Brady's shoulder that it was going to fall out of its socket or he was going to dislocate it um, at his ripe age of what is he? 43 now. Uh, But yeah, got off to that hot start. Unfortunately, it was downhill from there. The uh, Bucks found themselves down 24 to 7, largely in part to this play. So, yeah, just some uh, pretty basic mistakes in this game by Tampa. On second and 15, this one's picked. Back the other way for the touchdown. It's Janoris Jenkins, a pick six. Okay, we don't need to hear the rest of that clip. Yes, Brady did throw a couple of picks, and that one being a pick six. Our old friend Janoris Jenkins, for all you Giants fans out there, uh, yes, he does pick six. Tom Brady, the goat there. The, uh, The Buccaneers, excuse me, did find themselves, like I said, down 24 to seven, but start of the third quarter, they decided to kick things into high gear and mount that comeback a little bit. They eventually cut this lead to seven points. And honestly, that was their chance then and there. The Saints looked in like they were in total disarray. They went like they had to punt like maybe three, four times in a row. Unfortunately, the Bucks got to a point where they ended up having to settle for a field goal to cut it to, I want to say, 10 when really they needed the touchdown there. And then uh, it was all Saints from there. They go on to win this one 34 to 23. Drew Brees now has a, I believe, four and two career record versus Tom Brady. So that's a little bit surprising there. Brady, not a horrible day. He finished 23 of 36, 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and of course, that rushing touchdown to me, the most surprising part here was how little, uh, uh, excuse me, Rob Gronkowski played every time he was in there. Seemingly he was, he was just in there to block. They, they had a lot of OJ Howard who was the number one targeted tight end. He did score a touchdown and then Cameron Bright was in there as well. So I was a little bit surprised. Maybe they're just easing Gronk back into it. Of course, they want to save all, all the players that they can, you know, Gronk, Brady, all these guys, you want them to be healthy headed into the playoffs, but you also have to make the playoffs and they are in a stud division and a stud of a conference there. You've got, of course, the Saints that aren't going to go away in that division. You've got uh, Seattle. You've got Green Bay. You've got Minnesota, Chicago, maybe. Somebody has to win the NFC East. So there's a lot of teams there. And uh, But, you know, it, it's week one. We don't want to panic. If you're a Tampa Bay fan, I will tell you that. You have the GOAT. You have Tom Brady. You have Mike Evans, who was supposed to be a, a, a late scratch in this game, but he decided to test that hammy and, and played. He had that one touchdown right at the very end of the game. So if you played him in fantasy, um, well, you kind of got a little bit lucky there at the end. What could have been disastrous. And what I've learned of recent with playing fantasy football, I will give you a bit of advice for those of you out there listening. You know, maybe it's your first year, second year, you've never made the playoffs. I'll tell you why. When a guy is listed as questionable with a 
hamstring injury or something of the like, right? Groin strain, whatever. If they are a last minute start, most of the time, especially if it's a superstar player, you want to bench them and find somebody else who's going to play almost every snap and get you a, you know, and not bust. Because yes, the superstar potential is there with these guys, but more than likely, more likely than not, they're just a decoy. And that's the case going forward right now with Michael Thomas. So he has an ankle injury sustained at the end of the game when Alvin Kamara kind of fell on him awkwardly. He was supposed to go on possibly IR and miss three games, but they said that he practiced today, felt absolutely great and much better than he's been. And there is a slight chance he plays against Las Vegas on Monday night. More than likely, he won't play. This is a situation where I'm not sweating it because I don't think, I'm pretty sure he's not going to play. But if he was a late uh, play and, you know, he tests it out on Monday night and decides, okay, I'm going to play, I am not starting him because absolutely he's going to be a decoy, 100%. And the best part about it is I can I can wait and decide last minute because I also drafted Emmanuel Sanders, who is on the Saints as well, and will get a lot of targets if Michael Thomas is out. And quite frankly, there's nothing to wait on. I'm going to start Emmanuel Sanders uh, 100% because I do not believe that Michael Thomas starts. So anyway, just want to put that out there. No need to panic just yet for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They will be back. I think their spread this week is nine against Carolina. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think things will be just fine. Okay, next up, let's talk about some other standout performances around the league. Wait, I don't think I touched on Drew Brees. He was just 18 of 30, 160 yards, and two touchdowns. Okay, some other outstanding performances around the league in week one. You have the always great Russell Wilson. He was on fire, threw for 322 yards. I think he was 23 of 35, 322 Four touchdowns in a 38-25 win over the Falcons. You have Aaron Rodgers. He went 32 of 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns in a 43-34 barrage uh, over the Vikings, who, you know, uh, were a very good team last year. And this year, I'm not so sure with the loss of digs and, and some other things going on there. But I will say this. I was curious as to why the spread in this game was um, in favor so much of the Vikings. It was like two and a half or to three and a half points. I did not bet on this one, but I did say that I liked, I would have taken um, the Packers. I just thought there were some better matchups there. Just a little, sh- you know, I'm not shocked by that ups- supposed upset win there for the Green Bay Packers. Another standout performance in that very same game. Devontae Adams, he had a career-high 14 receptions for 156 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Josh Jacobs, he outdueled the best running back in the game right now, CMC Christian McCaffrey. He went for 25 carries, 93 yards, and three touchdowns. Yes, three touchdowns in their 34-30 to win over the Panthers. And guess what? In a new uniform, making his debut with the New England Patriots, Cam Newton rushed for 75 yards 
in a win over Miami. He also had two scores on the ground. It was the most rushing yards by any Patriots quarterback in a single game since Steve Grogan in 1977 when he had 81. And then finally, DeAndre Hopkins in his first game with the Arizona Cardinals. The wide receiver set his career high for receptions in a game for, with 14 tying Devontae Adams uh, on the week, tying Anquan Bolden as well for second most in a game in Cardinals history. Surprisingly, the leader on that uh, Arizona Cardinals all-time list is not uh, Larry Fitzgerald. It is Sonny Randall, who, has a, uh, who had a game with 16 receptions. Okay, that was a lot to take in. There was a lot of good games on Sunday. For the most part, I did very well with my bets. I did not hit on my, I think I did a four-team parlay. No worries there. I hit on my bills at minus six and a half. That was the easiest one. Well, not the easiest one. The easiest one goes to the Ravens. I also bet them pretty well. So, you know, overall, a very good weekend. And I did win some more money throughout this week. So overall, I'm up a good chunk of change right now. Okay, let's get to some Monday night football. You have you had some big time storylines in the two games here, starting off with the New York football Giants hosting Big Ben and the Steelers, who do pick up the win in MetLife on the road. Big Ben making his return, of course, after missing most of last season due to an elbow injury. He had he, uh, let me let me tell you, I was on the edge of my seat because I decided that I did not want to bet the Steelers minus six for some odd reason. Well, actually, no, because I did have. So I went golfing with my brother and his wife and my dad over the weekend, last weekend on Saturday before the games. And we decided on one of the holes, we made a bet that if he hits a crappy shot off the tee box, a crappy drive, and he can't find the ball, then you know, he's going to owe me a $10 parlay bet and vice versa, right? So he hits a drive. It was decent. It went to the right, rough, not not out of play by any stretch. And for some reason, he just, we lost the ball, could not find it. So he hit me with the $10 parlay. I told him the teams I wanted. I said Ravens. I said Steelers minus six. And I said the uh, Titans minus three, all to, all to cover the spread, okay? So that's why I didn't want to bet the Steelers a second time. So instead, I took this little prop bet. I took uh, the, I took a first half Steelers minus 12 and a half points. So they have to score 13 points in the first half. And the Giants, I believe, go down. They score first. So then the Steelers have to do their thing. The Steelers did not look good early on. They did get a field goal and a touchdown. And then, of course, of course, they missed the extra point, so now they were only sitting at nine. So if they hit a field goal at the end of the half, it would be only 12 points, and I needed 13 because over 12 and a half. So I'm on the edge of my seat. The Steelers looked awful. They, were, they ran it seven times. They passed seven times. They were splitting at the beginning of the game. And then finally, Big Ben, they started to ease into it. Juju Smith-Schuster got going, had a touchdown. And then let me tell you, right before the half, I'm on the edge of my seat. They're at the like 10 yard line. They're about to score, but they don't have really, they have one timeout, but there's not, there's like seven seconds left. They run this play. Big Ben hits James Washington over the middle and he freaking fights two def off two defenders and gets the ball across the line. I had to make sure in slow-mo that his knee didn't touch or anything. Thank the Lord he hits on that touchdown. 
I did not lose my 100 bucks. Instead, I made 73 off the bet, and I was living large at that point and then just had to wait and see if they would cover the spread of six and then see what happened with the Titans game. And, you know, it just went downhill from there. But luckily, they got the W and, I, you know, they got the touchdown and I hit on that bet for the first half. Now, right before that, Big Ben had himself a run of about nine yards. And then I think they called a timeout. Why is that important? Well, because uh, Big Ben out, outrushed, outrushed. Let me make this clear. Big Ben had more rushing yards than the the great Saquon Barkley, who probably went, you know, number two or three in most of your fantasy football drafts. Laid an absolute egg. A lot of that on his offensive line, yes, but some of that on him as well. And it was shocking, shocking, shocking. So Big Ben, he finishes off the night, 239 yards, three touchdowns, added those nine rushing yards. Two of those TDs went, of course, to my guy, Juju Smith-Schuster, who helped me make the comeback and get that number, uh, get that first W in week one. I was dead in the water, and Juju brought me back to life after duds from my first two picks in Michael Thomas and Chris Godwin, who also might not play this weekend is Chris Godwin. Uh, I picked up Scotty Miller just yesterday, luckily, and I'm probably going to have to start Robbie Anderson as well. But anyway... Uh, yes, I did mention Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a himself a down year last year, but uh, he he bounced back this year, which I knew he would. I knew that was a sneaky good pick in the mid-rounds, and I, I really played that well with Big Ben back. They've always had a good connection. Here was uh, Juju scoring, I think, on his second touchdown late in this game, which sealed the victory for my fantasy win. And Juju Smith-Schuster has a touchdown for the Steelers. Yes, there we go. Okay, next up, let's talk about the nightcap, the Monday night game between the Titans in Denver taking on the Broncos. And the Broncos, I, I, you know, I have my reservations about them. You know, my boy Nick, who's been on the podcast, is a huge Denver fan, Nuggets, Broncos, you name it, huge Denver fan. And he loves himself some Drew Locke. But I said, you know, we pump the brakes. This is not the second coming of John Elway or, or, or anybody like that. He Small sample size last year, played some bad teams, played some teams, you know, that were in the playoffs that were sitting some guys. And I got to say, he did look very good in this game yet again. Um, the offense that they have rolling there right now is sustainable. It's it's decent. But let me just tell you something. Their head coach is an absolute moron. He is an absolute dud. Um, but let me just back up real quick first, and then let's talk about this game because I needed the Titans minus three. I hit on the first two legs of the parlay, and now I needed the Titans by three. Well, this season, the Titans decided to add a new kicker to their roster. And that kicker would be future Hall of Famer, three-time Super Bowl champion, okay, Steven Gostkowski from the Patriots. And out of nowhere, and of course, just because it's my luck, he had a serious case of the yips in this game. He missed not one, not two, but three field goals. And he wasn't done there. He also missed an extra point. And he missed the extra point late in this game. And I could have gotten the push had he not missed that extra point, and I would have at least won something. 
Uh, but this, you just can't make this stuff up. It was absolutely horrible. At the end of the day, I, I have nobody else to blame. I'm not even going to blame Goskowski for this one, actually, uh, even though it was his fault. Nine points, really 10 points off the board because of just missed kicks. I would have won that bet easily and they would have covered. That's a case of the bad beats there. But shame on Vic Fangio because the Titans were running all the way down the field at the end of the game and Vic Fangio, the moron that he is, I think it was past his bedtime actually and that's why he he probably fell asleep at the wheel calling plays and, and, and clock management. I don't know what he had to say after the game about this because this game ended at 1.30 in the morning and I stayed up when I had to be up at 5.30 that morning. I stayed up to watch this game because the stupidness inside of me, the, you know, the, the fact that I even thought for a second that they were going to cover this after I watched them miss field goal after field goal after field goal, this just, this had bust all over it. And of course it did bust, but it's that no thanks to Vic Fangio because the Titans decided at the end to just play it safe. They were inside like the 10 yard line. They're like, all right, let's just run it with Derrick Henry who had a 31 rushing yards for a, a 116 yards. Uh, he really couldn't get much going uh, early on in this game. They just have to kept pounding him, pounding and pounding him. And he actually had his lowest rushing total led the league in rushing last year, but his lowest rushing output in a single game was against Denver last year, so they know how to bottle him up pretty well, minus a Von Miller who's out for the season. But anyway, uh, they get down there around the 10-yard line or so, and they decide to run a couple times, and Vic Fangio has three timeouts in his pocket. They kick a chip shot, 20-yard field goal. Granted, he hasn't made a kick all night, but you know he's going to make this one, of course. Because as bad as he is, or as bad as he was, Goskowski, he's only missed one go-ahead field goal in the final seconds of a game in the fourth quarter before. So you just chip shot, unless barring a block, he wasn't going to miss this one, or barring a bad snap, this was the one he wasn't going to miss. On the other flip side, if you're the Titans, you're thinking, touchdown, touchdown, because we don't want this to come down to a, you know, a field goal opportunity and lose, right? Well, they decided, let's play, let's see. This was a wait and see approach by Mike Vrabel, and it was very smart. They ran it a couple times. They saw that Vic Fangios decided for some asinine reason to not use his timeouts. And the clock just is running and running, and it's under a minute, and it's under 40 seconds, and it's running and it's running. Third down is is the only play that they decided to throw it, and they tried to throw a little fade route, really. It was just not, no chance to A.J. Brown. He overthrew it, and... Then they kick the field goal and they take the two-point lead with nine seconds to go. And Vic Fangio has three timeouts in his pocket. I, I, maybe it was like more like 15 seconds. I don't know. But what, what the problem was with this, and I'll tell you why, if Vic Fangio uses his timeouts with closer to a minute left, the Titans, by kicking a field goal to go ahead, are only going up by two. And you know as good as I know, as much as I know, in the NFL, if you put an offense out there in prevent, with prevent defense at the end of a game, with 30 seconds left, it's enough to get down into field goal range. And Brandon McManus in that stadium is money from at least like 65 out. So but if Vic Fangio would have used his timeouts, it would have forced Mike Vrabel to go for that touchdown and not be conservative. So, you know, uh, they kick the field goal, they go up two, and then Denver gets the ball, 
And point and case, they have to use one timeout and then basically the game ends and Vic Fangio goes home a loser with a pair of timeouts in his pocket. And I think literally in like the final second, he might have used that second timeout or or tried to get it in. But I mean, are you kidding me to lose the game because you decided not to use your timeouts and not at least give your team a chance? And I'm sorry, but I assume I did not hear his interview again. I said that, but I assume that this guy came out in his post-game presser, was asked this question via Zoom or whatever, right, and said the following. Well, I have the utmost faith. I had the utmost faith in my defense. I thought we could stop them. And, uh, you know, what does that matter, though? You did stop them, and yet you forced them to kick the field goal. That was the best-case scenario, right? Except you didn't use your timeouts. And if he's going to bring out the excuse that, well, if I used my timeouts, they definitely would have went for the touchdown and not played it so conservatively. And then if they scored the touchdown, well, then we're down two scores and it's over. That doesn't matter because you gave yourself zero chance regardless. And you can't play the what-if game. It's just, I could call a better game than some of these coaches, I swear to you, in Madden. And I've never coached football or played football in my life, but I know common sense and I know how to manage a clock. Case in point, how does Sam Darnold and the Jets offense in an empty stadium in Buffalo, how do they come out of a TV timeout to start the game or the second quarter or whatever it was? How do you come out of a TV timeout and get a delay of game in an empty stadium? You can't blame crowd noise or any of it. How does this happen? How does this stuff happen? Clock management is so vital in the game of football. I say it all the time, and yet I watch coaches who need their three timeouts at the end of the game, yet in the first possession of the third quarter, they call a timeout because they don't want a five-yard delay of game penalty or something, you know, like that. Are You're going to call waste a timeout in the, in the beginning of a third quarter because you don't want a five-yard penalty? No, that timeout is way more valuable than that penalty is. And I, I watch football all the time, and I see coaches make that same exact mistake. It's always a delay of game. They call that timeout right as they're getting the delay of game early on in the second half, and they don't realize that they end up losing the game because they didn't have that third and final timeout. Happens all the time. So, yeah, very questionable from Vic Fangio. And personally, I, I'm harsh critic. Fireable offense, absolutely fireable offense. You did not give your offense a chance to win the game. And I'm sorry, this is not the first time it's happened. You know as well as I do, as a Denver, if you're a Denver Broncos fan, I watched a lot of Denver Broncos football last year. They lost a ton of games in this exact fashion, right at the end of the game, piss poor clock management over and over and over again. And I want to know if you're a Denver Broncos fan, I'm going to talk to my buddy about this because I really didn't get a chance to talk to him yet. How are you feeling about that clock management by Vic Fangio? And how have you felt even last year? You lost a lot of close games in this fashion. So, okay, well, we can move on from that. I was just very heated because I lost my bet. Um, and I was just not happy. Okay. Um, Let's hear some other sounds uh, from the from around the league from, I believe, Monday. So a lot of recap of from coaches and players of what went 
good and what went bad, uh, what went right and what went wrong in week one for a lot of these teams. Let me cue that up for you. He looked like Tom Brady in practice all the time, so it's kind of uh, unusual to see that in the ball game because they didn't do the things that we didn't get ready for. Just got to keep talking that it's okay to throw the ball away. There is a fine line, obviously, as we know, uh, between the aggressiveness, but at the same time, we want to be smart. We did some things that are going to make it really hard to win versus a good team. That's how my running style has kind of morphed over the years. Either I'm the hammer and not the nail or delivering the blow or I can get down and um, you know like they all say live to fight another day and real quick I just want to back things up I did want to play some audio from Steven Goskowski after he hit the game winning field goal he talked a little bit about what went wrong kicking with his new team on Monday night because he's never missed three field goals in a game before obviously didn't go clean the, the whole game like we like it to in the kicking game, but I had a lot of confidence. He's made a lot of big kicks in his career, so really uh, no hesitation he's going to make that thing. I'm disappointed in myself and embarrassed and frustrated, but at the end of the day, you know, we won, and uh, luckily guys are happy going home. Sorry, that was uh, Ryan Tannehill at the beginning of that clip, and then that was Goskowski uh, at the end there. And yeah, really, if he if they did not win this game, you bet your bottom dollar the Titans were bringing in another kicker to compete this week in practice with Steven Goskowski because this is a what have you done for me now and what have you done for me lately league and the Titans do not care what Steven Goskowski's resume says they care about will he be able to make kicks moving forward and can he you know be a reliable uh place kicker uh, in this league and for this team so you know erased all doubts by winning the game but again Still, fantasy teams, fantasy owners, tread with caution. I know it's only one game, but maybe. Actually, I would probably play him again because it can't get any worse than it just did. But if he goes bad and starts missing kicks, he won't be on this team any longer. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, Goskowski and, and Ryan Tannehill right there. And the Titans, they get that 16-14 victory. And, you know, the spread was three, so that busted very perfectly, if you ask me. Okay, so. Before we dive into last night's Thursday night football game, let's go. I don't have time to recap the full uh, slate of games because I do want to give you some picks for this week. I can't go over every game because we're at like 30 minutes in and I want to keep this around the hour mark and there's just a lot to go over. So I will give you a couple games off the top of my head, okay? The New York Jets might go uh, 3-13 and this season, okay? That is not an understatement. They have a totally revamped offensive line that had no chance to, pra- to to play in a game together preseason, right? This was their first tr- go at it uh, on Sunday against a very good Buffalo defense, a playoff caliber team, right? So I am taking the San Francisco 49ers to come cross country on the road and cover the spread of seven. The spread is seven right now. Would you like to get it at six and a half? Sure. You want to take that and, and take a less, less, a little bit less of a payout to get the six and a half and just play it safe like I did last week with Baltimore. That is fine. You can go ahead and do that if that's what you feel. But seven to me is fine. I'll take that. They, If they don't win this game by 10, then the San Francisco 49ers will be 0-2 and they might have some bigger issues than the New York Jets. And I'll just leave it at there uh, at that. Number one, we found out to uh, we found out early in the week, Le'Veon Bell 
hamstring injury out for the foreseeable future. He's headed to, he's on IR. And what's funny about that is dating back to August, there was a feud between Adam Gase and one Le'Veon Bell who came at Adam Gase on, on Twitter and said that he needs to be practicing more. He shouldn't have been taken out of practice and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Adam Gase, for all the crap that we give him as a poor uh, uh, offensive mind and all this crazy stuff, right? He turned out to be right because Le'Veon Bell shouldn't have been playing. Clearly, the hamstring was was not 100%. He tweaked it, and now he's headed to IR. So that's number one. Found out today, Adam Schefter tweeted, Shefty, Jamison Crowder, who took the, uh, basically took a little bubble screen, broke a couple tackles, took it to the end zone to really get the Jets even sort of in the game and then put points on the board. Some For some strange reason, I don't even know what the injury is, Jamison Crowder has been ruled out for Sunday. So basically, you have a Sam Darnold, who we have yet to see uh, brilliance from yet in now his third season. You have Sam Darnold basically with the worst offensive weapons in the NFL right now. There is not a team in the NFL with worse offensive weapons. You want to talk about Baker Mayfield and how bad he was in week one and and whether he might be a bust for the Browns as a number one overall pick, right? Same draft as Sam Darnold taking two picks ahead of him. Well, then you turn around and look at what he did uh, last night, right? However, Baker Mayfield is surrounded with absolute studs of talent. He has David Njoku, who was going to have a big year, he hurt himself in week one, but he will be he will be back sometime this year. MCL sprain, I believe. He has Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Austin Hooper, I believe now is on that team. I mean, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield. You've got to be kidding me. That is a great slate of offensive weapons. You want to talk about, because Michael K talked about it today, how Sam Darnold has never looked really as good as what he saw from Joe Burrow last night. Well, let me just tell you something about Joe Burrow, rookie, first overall pick in last year's NFL draft. Joe Burrow has on that team, on the Cincinnati Bengals, I know they're a bad team. They're 0-2 now. I know it. They were worst record in the league last year. They have A.J. Green, didn't play last year. He was out on the field yesterday, did not look great, but, you know, that's because he's got to catch the ball. A.J. Green, okay? T. Higgins, who they drafted, I think, second round out of Clemson. Stud, right? Or potential to be a stud. Uh, Better than anyone the Jets have right now, probably. T. Higgins, you've got um, the uh, Mackey Award winner at tight end that they just drafted. Kid's name is is slipping my mind. No. No, that's uh, for the Bengals, I believe. Yeah, I'm talking about the Bengals, right. The Bengals, they drafted this kid in the fourth round, okay, at tight end. You've got Tyler Boyd, okay, who's no slouch himself. He hosed me for 16.9 points in, in my fantasy matchup this weekend, which is just going to be a just gonna be a joke. Uh, I pray that I can win this one. Um, you've got Tyler Boyd. You've got John Ross, who, uh, colossal bust in my opinion, but he's still a first-round draft, first-round wide receiver, okay? With lightning speed, I, I mean, come on, Gio, Giovanni Bernard in the backfield, great pass catcher. You've got Joe Mixon, and then you've got Sam Darnold out there, th- going to be throwing to Chris Hogan, um, Braxton Berrios. Okay, 
I, I mean, Brashad Perriman, if he could stay out there and stay healthy. And, and, and I mean, it's just, it is, it is not good. It is not good. And then of course you, you've got, you know, the, the one safety blanket you could argue for Sam Darnold might be Chris Herndon, but he fumbled last week. It, it's just a disaster. It, it's a total disaster. So I don't really even know where I was going with that. But um, okay, yeah, I'm giving you some of my picks for for up week two, and I'm saying take the 49ers minus seven, easy, easy, easy. They've got no George Kittle in this game, but it should not even matter. This the Jets, if they somehow can score a touchdown, I mean, I know it's the NFL, and it's pretty hard to to hold a team to under uh, six points and to keep them out of the end zone. But I'm not going to be shocked by any means if that happens. I've also got the 49ers defense and I've got Robbie Gould as my place kicker in fantasy. So they, they crapped the bed last weekend against Arizona. I hope they step it up a little bit this week. I mean, I'm going to watch my jets and I'm going to be tortured by this because it's definitely going to be worse than last weekend against the bills. All right. Um, another game that I want to go over real quick is going to be uh, another good pick that I like is the Kansas City Chiefs minus eight and a half against the Chargers. I think this is a no-brainer. Obviously, defending Super Bowl champs, they they covered easily on Thursday night to kick off the season against the Texans. I look for them to cover again. Uh, let's see. You've also got um, some games that I like. Let's see. Let me see here. You've got... Um, Wow, uh, I had some games that I was planning on betting besides that. You've got the, okay, the Rams are plus one on the road against the Eagles. If you're feeling frisky, you want to take that bet. The Rams started off as one-point favorites after their win against Dallas on Sunday night, and they are now plus one because Miles Sanders and Lane Johnson are going to play in this game. But after blowing a 17-point lead, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles against the uh, Washington Redskins. I do would not feel comfortable at all in taking the Eagles. Could they easily possibly win that game? Absolutely. But I think the Rams at plus one, they could very well uh, win that game. No doubt there. Okay. Um, another game that I like, you've got the Packers six and a half point favorites against the Lions. The Lions in, in Lions fashion, blew that game on Sunday. They had the big lead against the Bears, and then, of course, they're throwing the ball when they should be running. It's tipped in the air and intercepted. Mitchell Trubisky, who just looks horrible, looks like a total bust as the second overall pick. He throws three touchdown passes. Everything is good, and the Bears come back and win that game. Just unbelievable. So I don't know that you could overcome a type of loss like that. So And the Packers looked really, really good um, in week one. So I'll take Green Bay minus six and a half. And then um, another surprising one, Indianapolis, three and a half point favorites over the Vikings. Yes, the Vikings lost to the Packers, but the Vikings were a playoff team last year and very good at that. And what shocks me is the Indianapolis Colts being favored by this much because they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They lost to Gardner Minshew and Minshew Mania, and they let him. They did it in horrific fashion. Gardner Minshew was 19 of 20. He only threw one incomplete pass. Just let that sink in for a second. You've got a guy like that, sixth round pick, and he looks way better than Sam Darnold half the time. I mean, outperformed him last year when these two teams played. But uh, yeah, with that being said, the the the, Col- the Colts are, they lost Marlon Mack. So they're going to have to lean heavily on Naheem Hines. Hopefully you picked him up in your fantasy league. I know, uh, <laughs> 
we have a fab league, so you have to bid. It's auction-style league, so you don't know what play people are bidding. You get $100 for the year, for the season. Um, I threw $31 out there, and that wasn't even enough. We have a psycho in my league. He bid $40 on him. But with that, with that being said, I didn't really want him anyway, and I don't think he'll be totally great, but... In the immediate, you know, he's a pass catching back. If you're in, if you're in a uh, PPR league, maybe something to look at. But they're without Marlon Mack. They're going to have to work Jonathan Taylor in, and their defense is absolutely horrible. So uh, straight up, I think the Vikings are going to win this game. And then the the last one, I'll I'll just say uh, for time constraints, Bills at Dolphins minus five and a half. Okay, so uh, I'll take the Bills all day. And, you know, that to me is is pretty much, you know, the three or four locks that 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 I would take um, and I will probably take. OK, that was my predictions for week two. Let's go back to last night's Thursday night game. This will be a quick recap and then we'll move on from there. Bengals, Browns, AFC North. Divisional game, both teams desperate for a win, looked horrific, looked porous on uh, Sunday in week one. It was not kind to either of these teams. Neither team scored more than 13 points with, of course, the Browns scoring just six and a blowout loss to the Ravens. Well, uh, last night, points were not an issue. Many people taking the under. I Everything I was reading prior to the game said take the over, uh, but again, I psyched myself out and didn't take the bets I wanted and then lost the bet that I needed, which was OBJ and AJ Green to combine for 120.5 yards or they had to combine for more than 120.5 yards. So 121 or more. Well, at halftime, they only needed about 30 something yards. Then it was 18 and yeah, they didn't get it because AJ Green was just a bum. And I think his time with uh, the Bengals is pretty much over. OBJ sort of did his thing, but Unfortunately, the Browns just kept pounding and pounding and pounding the rock with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and, you know, couldn't do much about it. They ran, uh, they ran for 215 yards and three touchdowns and they, the Browns win this one 35 to 30. Here is, uh, OBJ just spoke about him. He had a, um, 40 plus yard touchdown early on that gave me some hope. And I was like, okay, here we go. This bet's going to be easy. And then it was just, just unbelievable. Nick Chubb, speaking of the run game, like I said, he had himself a day and he scored two on the ground, had over 120 yards rushing. Here's Mayfield giving Chubb running right. He's to the 10. He slips out of the five. He's driving to the goal line and he's in touchdown, Nick Chubb. That was one of his two scores there. Uh, on the flip side, Joe Burrow made history, completing 37 passes, which is the most by a rookie in NFL history. Uh, but he is not a fan of losing. This was him sounding off after the game. <laughs> Just losing. Losing isn't very fun. Uh, you know, this might be the only time in my sporting career that I've lost two games in a row. Doesn't feel very good. So there you have it. Uh, as for Baker Mayfield, he had a lot of doubters after week one, you know, a lot of talk of him being a bust. He had himself a nice bounce back game, 16 of 23, 219 yards, two touchdowns. He did throw a bad pick late in this game that got the uh, Bengals back into this one, but still overall a pretty good game and they got the W. With that being said, that's it for football talk. And let's jump right into basketball because we've got ourselves 
a great one right now. We're we're at the you know the end of this thing. We're in the what what you know the conference finals are finally upon us. So let's talk about how we got here. We're gonna start off with the Nuggets, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna go through this quick because it's been it's behind us now for days. The Nuggets overcame a 19 point deficit to stun the Clippers in game six, and they forced a game seven. It was the second game in a row that they came back after trailing by double digits. Uh, The Joker, uh, Jokic, he led the way with 34 points, 14 rebounds, and seven assists. Jamal Murray is loving the whole underdog thing. You guys count us out, or not you guys, but all the media counts counts us out everywhere um, all the time, so... Um, it's nice to see everybody eat their words. Um, we're just going to lock in and go in game seven and, and uh, try to complete this comeback. Okay, and then not only that, he added 21 points on 9 of 13 uh, shooting with five assists. The Nuggets became the first team in NBA history to play in a game seven in four straight series, and they can become the first team in NBA history with Multiple 3-1 series comeback wins in the same postseason. Well, I'll break I'll break the news. They already did that, okay? It's also the first team since 1997 with three 15-point comebacks while facing elimination in a postseason. Doc Rivers, on the other hand, has been in this position before, and he's the only coach in NBA history to blow multiple 3-1 leads. I don't know what that's all about, okay? And we'll get to uh, recap game seven in just a second. But first, Mike D'Antoni, he decided earlier in the week um, that he is calling it quits. He informed the Rockets he won't be back next season and will become a free agent. He won 217 games in four seasons, advancing once to Western Conference Finals. We all know how I feel about D'Antoni. His offenses look great for a couple seasons, and their defenses are worse in the league, and you can't win like that. And, you know, other teams catch on real quick. Okay, let's fast forward to game seven between the Clippers and Nuggets. It was one of the most epic collapses in NBA history that I've ever seen. Clippers blow the 3-1 series lead, and in game seven, they looked horrible. They absolutely lost it in the fourth quarter, and they get blown out by about 20. Jamal Murray was the talk of game seven. Not Kawhi Leonard, and nor was it... Paul George. Paul George was hitting the side of the backboard in fourth quarter. Paul George couldn't hit a broad side of a barn. Paul George couldn't hit the ocean if it were in front of him. He was lost out there. Uh, Speaking of Jamal Murray, he hosed LA for 40 points while teammate Nikola Jokic, the Joker himself, had a triple-double. He came to play in Game 7. 16 points, 22 rebounds, 13 assists. Kawhi, the Game 7 killer won two world championships, took the Toronto Raptors to the promised land last season and then left, proving the grass ain't always greener on the other side. Kawhi, just 14 points. And Paul George, just 10 points. Your two superstars traded all these all these picks. Shea Gilgis-Alexander traded it all, five, five first-round picks to get Paul George from Oklahoma City, and it blew up in their face. Nuggets proved you can do it from within. Michael Porter Jr. looking like a future superstar. Jamal Murray, a superstar. Okay? This team is 
unselfish and they are getting it done. Okay. They have great talent. They're not going to the finals though. Sorry. They will give LA a fight. I will tell you that much. Um, I like to think that the Lakers are finally over that hump and going to win, win the championship this season. But again, you never know. The Nuggets are the team that does not quit and does not go home. Just unbelievable. They go on to win this 104 to 89 and will face the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. What gets me mad and angry is that the Clippers fell apart in the fourth quarter. A Doc Rivers-led team. This can't happen. Should not happen. Why did this happen? They went nine minutes without their first field goal in the fourth quarter of a game seven. Like, this cannot happen. Okay? This cannot happen. Cannot happen. Here's Jamal Murray after the win. Oh, yeah. Better start giving this team some damn respect because we put in the work and we got a resilient team. And, you know, we should have we should have been down 3-1. Y'all, y'all can finally start changing the narrative and um, looking at us in a better light. On the flip, Doc Rivers is now the first coach to blow multiple 3-1 series lead in NBA history. What is that all about, Doc Rivers? I'm the coach and, and I'll take any blame uh, for it. But. We didn't meet our expectations, uh, clearly. Yeah, you think? Uh, Not only that, I do have to say it was quite satisfying looking at an empty stadium and then seeing just Steve Ballmer, who loves to get rowdy and and just super energetic and scream when everything's going great. And then he just had his head down and he was sulking. Got to say, I loved that part of it. But I'm sorry. Uh, you will take the blame, Doc Rivers. You must be fired. I'm putting my foot down. You should be terminated. That is inexcusable and unacceptable. This team was supposed to fight the LA Lakers for a chance to win a championship. They have the star power, one of the deepest, probably the deepest bench in the bubble. And, and yet, what went wrong? Well, I'll tell you what went wrong. And it started with Montrez Harrell leaving the bubble early on There was really no word about what was going on with that. Then you have Lou Williams leaving the bubble for a supposed funeral, and then he gets caught at the strip club. I think this caused a lot of inner turmoil, and a lot of guys just weren't there mentally and not prepared enough. And they thought they were just going to coast on in to the the series with the Lakers, and then they were going to start to play. And that's on the head coach for not getting this team ready. I'm sorry. It's unacceptable. And I don't care who Doc Rivers is and that he's won a championship with the Celtics, but he hasn't done anything else ever since or really before that even. So, uh, yeah, just shocking. Here's Stephen A's take because he sounded off after this, but this was a little bit of a, a more tamer side, uh, tame side of Stephen A. But he sa- he had things to say. He was not happy with Paul George. Take a listen. We can't ignore the situation involving Paul George. I'm here to tell you, Max, one of the nicest dudes you'll ever want to meet in your life. Impossible to root against. He is a star in this league, but nevertheless, boy, did he not show up. It was Brick City. It was a straight choke job on his part as well. And what the biggest thing about Paul George that he needs to pay attention to, Paul George is in danger. He's in danger of becoming the second coming of Dwight Howard. Remember, Dwight Howard was the man in Orlando, just like Paul George was the man in Indiana. He wanted to leave. 
He goes to L.A. He ends up going to Houston. And then before long, he's a journeyman, Washington, Charlotte, etc. Because the star that he once was, he was no more. And so because of that, everybody says they harken back to that. He should have never left Orlando. That was an ideal situation for him. They built the franchise around him, even though he didn't win the chip. They got to the finals in 2009. And now Dwight Howard is a role player. Yeah, it's just it, it, it's totally true. I mean, at, he was a a superstar in Indiana, in Indiana. Had that horrific leg injury, I think, practice uh, for the U.S. team, the Olympic team. Came back from that, was great, uh, did very well. Goes to OKC with Russ, doesn't work there. Goes now to the Clippers, where it's supposed to click. And yet it does not click there. So he is in danger, not only being Dwight Howard, I'll argue Carmelo Anthony, who can't, who could not just cursed, can't make, you know, the playoffs with the good when he was drafted with the Nuggets. They had some good years, Chauncey Billups, Kenyon Martin, all those guys. They made it as far as the Western Conference finals, but couldn't get over the hump. He comes to the Knicks and it's the same thing. What they win those 50 games, 53 games, the one year, they're like the third seed in the East. And they get bounced in like the second round. And this is what Paul George might be. He might be great in the regular season. Early on in the postseason, he got a lot of flack. He played bad twice. He played very poorly in, I think, one game in the first round and then at least one game in the second where it was real bad. And he called his haters out. And then he came out and said, oh, well, it was, it's, it's been tough without the fans to really amp me up and get ready for these games. No, it's inexcusable and it cannot happen. I, I'm just, they, this was my pick to make it to the finals. I was basically picking the Clippers to win it all. I mean, this cannot ha- I'm taking the Lakers now personally, but this cannot happen. This cannot happen. We move on. Next up, Celtics Heat, Eastern Conference Finals, game one. This one would go to overtime. I had a Awesome bet in this one, guys. DraftKings, my brother hit me up and said, bet, how does this look? It was Jimmy Butler, uh, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. They had to each combine for over six and a half three-pointers, so they just needed seven. Well, they got it by the end of the third quarter. I bet the full amount, $89, to win a uh, nice chunk of change, $356 uh, total, including the money I bet. So that was a solid bet right there. Okay, but back to the game. They go to overtime, Miami down one with 15 seconds left. And somehow, somehow, Jimmy Butler on an inbounds pass, he drives baseline, throws it up, gets hammered, somehow gets the and one, the bucket counts, and he hits the free throw, puts the heat up two. Celtics get the ball back. Jason Tatum, it's lined up perfectly. The, the, the lane parts, and he is just, he's barreling down, dribbling. He's ready to slam it home, dunk this, bas- this basketball, and tie the game. But, bam, out of bio. Woo-wee! As Stephen A. would say, that is a bad man right there. And he absolutely stuffs Jason Tatum with a huge block heard around the world, and the Heat take game one, steal game one, 117 to 114. They have lost just one game thus far in the playoffs. Here is more on that block. Honestly, it happened so fast. I couldn't, I couldn't register what happened. So, you know, but at the end of the day, 
you know, great block, great win. Business isn't done yet. That's why he's the heart and soul of our team, right there on a defensive end. He does everything for us. Um, we love him for that. We appreciate him. I know that I damn sure do. I mean, you just said it. I had opening. He made a great play. Um, solid it. He made a good play. Can't do nothing about it. On the stretch. I mean, it was a great play by Bam. Damn, good play by Bam. Uh, you know, but like I said, it happens. They did their job. It's time for us to do ours um, for game two. Yeah, I mean, even the Celtics players were like, that. I props to them. That was a great block. It really was. Uh, uh, Magic Johnson even went as far as to say that Bam's block was the best defensive play he's ever seen in the playoffs. He tweeted that out, seriously. Now, I think that's just a bit of an overreaction uh, because, I mean, how, you know, how are we going to stack that in, you know, asterisk basketball, you know, bubble ball. We're really going to not count this year's champion on the same level as we would say next year's, but with fans there and with a full season, but still nonetheless, great, great block. Uh, Unbelievable. Okay. Next up, LeBron James was named to the all NBA first team on Wednesday. Joining him was Giannis, Harden, Luka, and Anthony Davis, his teammates. For LeBron, it is a record 16 selections to all NBA teams. 16 selections in 17 years. Uh, That's why people compare him to Michael Jordan. And that's why he will probably go down as the second best player to ever play the game. He now sits ahead of Kareem, Kobe, and Tim Duncan, who each had 15 All-NBA team selections. What's even crazier than that is the fact, guys, that Bradley Beal did not make the All-Star team, right? Well, he didn't make the All-NBA team either, which is not surprising because we know he didn't make the All-Star team, but it's just highway robbery. He averaged 30.5 points per game this season. That is the third most points per game in a season without making All-NBA in league history, minimum of 40 games. Follow it. Following Walt Bellamy's 31.6 points per game in the 61-62 season and Bob McAdoo's 31.1 points per game in the 75-76 season. Just a travesty that my man Bradley Beal did not make All-Star team or All-NBA. Just shocking. Okay, let's fast forward to last night's Game 2 in the Eastern Conference Finals between the Boston Celtics and... Miami Heat. Uh, Well, Heat take game one, right? They're in control after Bam with that block. And come back game two last night. I didn't watch much of this game really at all because of the Thursday night game. But this team did not show up. They were down big in the first half. I mean, big. They, I think, down as much as 17. They come out of the halftime locker room, probably got reamed by Eric Spolstra. And they show up in the first, uh, the third third quarter, absolutely show up. They cut the lead to one in the fourth quarter, just under three minutes left to play. Now under two minutes left, heat down two. Goran Dragic drains the go-ahead three, just tough shot. And the Heat have a one-point lead at this point. Um, Jimmy Butler had an unbelievable steal on the next possession. 
They get another basket. They go up three. Miami goes on to win this one, 106 to 101. And Dragic led the way with 25. Miami Heat are now 10 and one in the playoffs and holding firmly to a 2-0 series lead. Here's Jimmy Butler with why this team has been so freaking good. Uh, we like to make it hard on ourselves. We like being down double digits and uh, being a comeback kids. Uh, we, we're still yet to play 48 minutes or maybe more if it goes into overtime. We got to correct it. We got to fix it. And I uh, went to the next one. The 17-point comeback victory tied a franchise playoff record. As for the Celtics, well, you can imagine they were not happy about blowing that lead. I was standing probably 25 feet from the mouth of the locker room when I started to hear yelling and screaming, and it sounded like a chair or something heavy was being thrown at the wall. And then I saw Marcus Smart leave the locker room, head towards the restroom, and he was still yelling back and swearing. And Jalen Brown saying, at the end of the day, we are family. And Marcus Smart is fiery on the court. Sometimes he's fiery off the court. And they are just hoping that that fire can scorch the heat in game three. I've got to I've got to say Marcus Smart when I needed that three-point barrage by those three guys in game 1, I was not happy with the amount of shots that Marcus Smart was getting up. Jalen Brown really didn't shoot the ball much till very late in this game and I, I, he just was out of control. He was like James Harden. Every time down the court he's touching the ball and he just kept shooting. Granted he made four threes, I get it, but sometimes, you know, he's a very A-type personality, volatile-type guy. If things are not going well, you know, he's going to pop off, if you will. But, you know, down 2-0, this is a situation now. You are absolutely in a must-win because you can't go down 3-0. No team is coming back down 3-0. So, you know, game three, if you're the type of person like me who might impulse bet and say, okay, Celtics down 2-0, they're definitely going to make this a series. Personally, I do believe this has the potential to go seven games. You might go, I'm going all in on the Celtics to win this game because they are in must win. They're going to have to play like their pants are on fire and just go absolutely nuts in this game, okay? So I look forward to game three uh, this weekend, uh, probably tomorrow that game is, and we'll see what, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, so yeah. Okay, next up, let's give a little preview. Nuggets, Lakers, they kick off the Western Conference Finals in just a couple minutes here. Uh, I always find myself getting this podcast out way way later than I want to, so I apologize for that, but I promise you um, that I will get it out tonight during that game. It is not the series we thought we'd see, of course, but LeBron James, nonetheless, not taking the Nuggets lightly by any stretch of the imagination. It takes a lot of energy, effort, um, and a lot of desperation to be able to come back from a 3-1 deficit, and they did it twice. So the respect level is out of this world for what we have for this ball club. On the flip side, Nuggets head coach Mike Malone, he's just enjoying the ride, and he's having himself some fun. Well, we actually did petition the league to see if we could just get right to it and start the 3-1 down, save everybody a lot of time, and catch up to the Eastern Conference. (laughs) Uh, but that was shot down. 
Yeah, he's just having his fun there. Interesting. I did want to take the Nuggets to cover, I think, like plus seven tonight. It's kicking off in two minutes now. I'm not going to get that bet in, unfortunately. Uh, And I'm just a little hesitant. I just texted my buddy, who's a Nuggets fan, and he said he's not going to take it. I'll probably say, I'll say this. I wanted to take it just because after they went to seven against the Jazz and won it, they only had one day's rest between that uh between the first round and second round semis against the Clippers. And when they came out, they were sluggish. They they looked like a team that was tired and didn't get enough rest coming off seven-game series. And they got blown out in game one. Going into this series, why I'm, I wanted to bet it is because they, they had two days rest in between. So I think, you know, they're the hot team right now. They've got it going. And yes, they have to face a Lakers team that's very good, that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But I feel like the Lakers haven't played in a minute and they could be a little bit rusty here in game one. So I really do like the Nuggets actually to pro- to, to not only cover, but I think the Nuggets could very easily take sneak away with a game, game one victory. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but again, that game is kicking off any second now. Or in a few minutes. Okay, next up, Giannis was named MVP. I don't know why people are shocked about this. They were not allowed to count the bubble games or anything that occurred in the bubble. So anything uh, after March 11th did not count. So, of course, it was going to go to Giannis. They had the best record and blah, blah, blah. He was Defensive Player of the Year, I think, right? Um, I, I Everything, I'm... Yeah, I believe that's right. So yeah, he was going to win the MVP. I saw tweets from people saying that like, oh, it should have been Skip Bayless. It should have been LeBron. Yeah, it probably should have been. But again, you should not be shocked by that. Okay, let's talk a little baseball real quick uh, because we did have a no-hitter last weekend. Cubs righty Alec Mills threw the season's second no-hitter of the season on Sunday. He shut out the Brewers 12 to nothing, struck out five while walking just three. The last time the Cubs had a no-hitter was in 2016 when Cubs manager Cody Ross was the catcher. He becomes the 11th person to catch and manage a no-hitter. Also of note, making some history, Albert Pujols hit his 600th home run, tying Willie Mays for fifth all-time. And Steve Cohen has agreed, in principle, to purchase a majority stake in the New York Mets. The sale has to be approved by at least 23 of the 30 Major League Baseball team owners. Once that clears, Cohen will assume full control of the franchise, and he will be the richest owner, uh, possibly in sports, but definitely in baseball. And the Yankees have been on an absolute tear of late. I mean, what is going on with this team? I think they're finally starting to get a little bit healthier. So that's a good sign for sure. But my goodness, this team has never looked better than what they've been in over the last eight games. They haven't lost uh, tale of two seasons, right? I think they start off. I don't think I know they start off the season 16 and six. All right. And then they have a two week stretch where just miserable. They've got guys in the lineup that don't belong in the lineup that are hitting a buck 20 or buck 60 and down just automatic outs. Gary Sanchez, just horrible. Right now they're starting to get healthy. Okay, they look more like the 16 and 16, but they're even better right now. And they are putting up historic numbers, ladies and gentlemen. And I I mean, this is I'm not being facetious at all. I'm not just saying that as a Yankees fan, but they are on a tear. They had a huge series against the Blue Jays 
this week in which they swept, jumping ahead of the Blue Jays for second place in the AL East. They're now three games back of the Rays with, uh, you know, f- f- 10 games or so left. Okay, just unbelievable what they've been doing. On Tuesday, they pounded the Blue Jays to a total of 20 runs. They, they win that one 20 to 6. Kyle Higashioka, basically the third string catcher uh, on this team, became the first Yankee to ever hit three home runs in a game, batting from the number nine spot. Just incredible. They were right back at it on Thursday, which would be yesterday. The Blue Jays may have been shell-shocked by the Yankees putting up 20 runs because this one did not go their way either. DJ LeMahieu and Luke Voigt paced the way yet again, and Garrett Cole finally seems to be rounding into form. He looks brilliant. He looks like his dominant self. The Yankees win this one by scoring double-digit runs again, 13-2. Excuse me, that was, um, yeah, that was, okay, that was, um, no, that was not last night. I got my days mixed up, sorry. Last night's game, they win 10-7, to 7, but they set some records in doing so, and the score wasn't even that close. I think they scored a few in the ninth. I wasn't really paying attention, but unreal. Pick this one up in the fourth inning. Brett Gardner, who hasn't been hitting, hits a home run. Next pitch, DJ LeMahieu. Hits a home run. The pitch after that, Luke Voigt hits a home run. The Yankees go back to back to back on consecutive pitches off Chase Anderson. After a Aaron Hicks strikeout, what do you know happens in the same inning? Okay. Glaber Torres and Giancarlo Stan, they go back to back. For Voigt, Luke Voigt, his major league leading 20th home run. This is a guy that the Yankees did not add to their playoff roster a season ago. And now he leads the majors in home runs by three. Just an unbelievable tear. Unbelievable. It is the first time in Yankees history that they've hit five home runs in an inning. Okay. Just unbelievable. They're playing the Red Sox in a, uh, uh, over the weekend right now, that game is two, uh, 3 nothing Boston, actually. I think someone just hit a home run in that game. Next up, the Dodgers. They clinched a playoff berth, becoming the first team in Major League Baseball to do so. It is their eighth consecutive trip to the playoffs. That is the third longest streak in Major League Baseball history, which seems a bit shocking. And then uh, we'll switch things over, talk a little Big Ten. That was the big news on Wednesday. The Big Ten announced football will return the weekend of October 24th, so just over a month. They've adopted significant medical protocols, which helped pace the decision to return. So how did we get here? Well, back on August 11th, the conference announced that the postponement of their season would happen due to COVID concerns. This just six days after releasing their fall schedule, which to me was uh, a disaster when they did that. You're going to announce just less than a week after you you release the full schedule. It's like, why? Okay, then in mid-August, Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields started a petition to bring Big Ten football back. That petition garnered over 300,000 signatures. Uh, so then you had President Donald Trump tweeting, saying that let the players play. They want to play all this stuff back and forth. And then he took, he did take a lot of credit for this, but Hey, big 10 football is finally back. 
This is a very good day for the Big Ten. They have been in the wilderness for five weeks and have taken a lot of shots, some justified, some not. But, but in the end, they looked around, they saw everyone was playing, and they decided to get back in. It's not only good for the conference, it's good for football overall. You know, college football is better when all the Power Five conferences are playing. We got to the solution that we were all looking for, and I'm looking forward to seeing those kids who have put in so much work to get to this point. I'm looking forward to seeing them run through the tunnel and represent their universities. We're in a better place regardless of how we got here how painful it was during the time that we waited to get to this moment. Uh, that's all behind us. So, hey, Rutgers football is back. Let's see how many games they can lose or maybe win this year. All right, we're well over time, hour 10 minutes. This is not good. Let's, uh, let's just hurry this thing up. Next up, the uh, NHL, the Stars and Lightning will face off in the Stanley Cup Finals. Unfortunately, the two teams I was rooting for both lost. Shocker. Dallas beat Vegas four games to one, and Tampa Bay finished off the Islanders last night four games to two. Uh, the Islanders, man, they just had a tough go of it in that series. Couple tough losses. And then next up, and I think this is last but not least, the U.S. Open Championship at Winged Foot. Golf is garbage. Tiger watch. So, Tiger, how did you play today? Well, got to kind of a slow start. Tiger now. Tiger. Wow. Tiger. Oh, Tiger didn't win. It didn't even make Sunday exciting. Tiger Woods. Yes, he showed up to the Open Championship, but did not play well at all. 10 over par, misses the cut. He was not alone, joined by hmm, Phil Mickelson. Some guy bet like, I think over a 40,000 or 140,000, something like that on Phil Mickelson to win this. So that just goes out the window. Uh, just uh, Jordan Spieth, excuse me, also missed the cut. You've got Patrick Reed right now sitting atop the leaderboard. He's one shot ahead of Bryson DeChambeau. This course plays very tough, okay? Uh, they're playing on the West Course there in, in New York at Winged Foot. But uh, yeah, Patrick Reed, he, he's currently your leader by one. And, and you know, when you when you do this, uh, you're more than likely going to, to, to be uh, atop the leaderboard. Take a listen. Ahead one at the seventh, Patrick Reed on the tee of this par three. Yeah, coming off a double bogey at the fifth and a birdie at the sixth. Watch this. Hello! One hopper. One bouncing in, hole in one at the U.S. Open for Patrick Reed. And he would not be the only person to hit a hole in one on that seventh. Bill Zalatoris might use at the seventh. This just a moment ago for the 24-year-old. And we have seen... The second ace at the seventh today. First. Two holes in one uh, at a course that is playing extremely hard. Unreal. Justin Thomas, who led after yesterday's first round, he did drop a few strokes and is currently two under and tied for third. Like I said, DeChambeau is in there at second. He's been hitting a couple 380-yard drives. No shocker there. I'm going to throw out a name that I think has a chance to make a run over the weekend, and that is Matthew Wolf. Yes, he's a young kid. Yes, um, he's, what, like 21, 22 years old, whatever he is. But 
He has shown such poise since this restart. We've seen him win. He's got that funky Jim Furyk type swing. And I think without the fans being there, there's not a lot of pressure on him. He shot four over today, 74. He is tied for seventh currently, couple shots back. He's sitting at even, so four shots back. I think he got the jitters out of the way. I think he got his bad round out of the way headed to the weekend, and he's definitely in striking distance. So two guys I would look out for, Justin Thomas. I, I'm so mad I, I was going to bet him when he was at one under and three shots back on day one. He was plus 1,200. But Matthew Wolf, there is some good money to be made if you bet Matthew Wolf and he does win. So again, golf is much a shot in the dark, but hey, those are a couple names I want to throw out there. Uh, so yeah. And then last but not least, I want to throw out a feel-good story of the weekend that I saw. Pau Gasol and his wife, Kat, decided to honor Kobe Bryant's late daughter, Gianna Bryant, by naming their newborn daughter, Elizabeth Gianna Gasol. Uh, Vanessa Bryant also shared that she is the baby's godmother. So if that doesn't give you chills or goosebumps, uh, I don't know what does, but that is just very cool right there. And then what do you want to look forward to this weekend? Well, of course, you've got uh, NFL football. You've got college football tomorrow, game day. You've got some college football games on right now, actually. But you've also got UFC 253. You've got undefeated fighters facing off Israel Adesanya when he tries to defend his middleweight belt against Paulo Costa. So... That should be fun. That's a pay-per-view tomorrow. Like I said, NFL. You've got the U.S. Open at Winged Foot. Tune in for that on Sunday. That should be extremely fun. And also Sunday, I almost forgot, it's my mother's birthday. I'm not going to reveal her age because she would kill me, but I will give her a nice birthday shout out. So happy birthday, Ma. Um, she does not listen to this, so she'll never hear this. So uh, I guess I'm doing this more for myself than anything. But yeah, happy birthday to you, mother. Um, and that's pretty much going to wrap this thing up. Um, Last but not least, we always do on this date in sports. We'll take it back to September 18th, 2010. Michigan State, Notre Dame, one of the base, excuse me, one of the best fake field goals to win a game that you will ever see. I'm going to end the show here. Have a good one, guys. Hope you get those bets in. If you took my advice last week, uh, you could send me, you know, that 10% that you owe me, uh, via PayPal. I take Venmo, Apple pay, you name it, but, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, it's all good fun uh, and I'm only kidding, but, uh, yes, without further ado, have a good weekend. Here is the last segment on this date in sports. See you next week, everybody. A 46 yard field goal attempts. They try to set it to a second overtime. Conroy, it's a fake. Bates is going to throw. He's got it. Touchdown! Michigan State wins it in overtime. The call of the year. say it all. He was a former high school quarterback at John Glenn High School in Ohio, and he throws a perfect throw to a wide open receiver.